listening to GP Works, the podcast about and for general practice with the Irish College of General Practitioners. In this episode, Dr. Mary Short, a GP and Director of Women's Health with the ICGP, talks to Dr. Rita Doyle. Today on International Women's Day, I think it is fitting to interview Dr. Rita Doyle, past president of the College of General Practitioners and current president of the Medical Council. Rita is not only the first woman president of the Medical Council, but also the first full-time GP to hold the post. Dr. John Gilman, chairman of the college, has said of you, Rita, and I quote, As a general practitioner, Dr. Rita Doyle brings a different perspective to the role. A career in general practice is reflective of the totality of patient care from infancy to end of life, the community and familial context, and brings a unique and privileged insight into the lives of patients. Dr. Doyle's elevation to President of the Medical Council demonstrates to younger colleagues that one can make a difference when one has pride and love for the profession, an openness to learning by doing and giving beyond the immediate clinical job, and a willingness to get involved, not just to comment. The person and the profession is richer from this. Please comment. It's <laughs> embarrassing. Uh... No, there's a lot of firsts, Rita, and um, so tell me about yourself. Okay, well, I, I'm just an ordinary person who, um, or somebody asked me once, when did I know I wanted to be a doctor? And I said I was about six. And when did I know I wanted to be a GP? And I said I was about four. And I suppose it came out without me thinking about it because... Um, Really, um, general practice was the only place I was ever going to go um, because I love, I'm an insanely curious individual and I suppose my, my strength in life or in my profession is my attention to detail. I would I'm always cross the T's and dot the I's, you know, I'm that sort of neurotic, um, obsessive, uh, detailed individual. But I, I am intensely curious and I just love people as well. I love the interaction. And I, I love the privilege of um, of general practice where patients share with us enormous um, secrets, for want of a better word, and know that they will go to the grave with us. Mm. Okay, But actually just having somewhere that is safe for patients is, uh, I think, hugely important. I think we're very privileged uh, as, a, as a profession. And, and I think as the branch of the profession, I think it's just, it is so interesting and the um it's the the complete the variety all of the time we're not saying all people with hernias or all people with fractures we're seeing from the simplest things to the most serious things uh, and you know what we do it really matters because sometimes patients come into you and they don't have an illness and, you know, trainees find that hard that they're not actually sick and we don't need to prescribe. Mm-hmm. But you send them back off as independent individuals. But what you do there, if you don't send them back off as individual, uh, independent individuals, now you are, if you turn them into a patient, they become moderately or severely dependent. So their lives are changed by what you do. So you have to be really careful that, you know... Um, it's easy when somebody has something very serious. You know, you don't have any doubts about the way you go with something. But sometimes, you know, you're not sure whether this patient has a disease or um, whether they're really healthy. And you have to be really careful how you handle that and how you handle it for them. Because giving them permission to be sick is a huge um, change in their lives, you know. So it's, uh... 
So you give them a sense of empowerment? I would hope so, yeah. yeah. Um, because you take it away when you turn them into a sick person. Yeah. Uh, and they lose their empowerment and their motivation to change things themselves. So let's go back a bit. You wanted to be a doctor from the time you were six and a GP from the time <laughs> you were four. You went to med school in UCD. Yes. What was that like for you? How many girls were in yeah. your class? Uh, there were 18 girls in a class of 120. Okay. All Irish um, and there were two nuns amongst that 18. So there were, it was very different to what it is now and um, if you look at what the 18 girls did at both of the the nuns went out to the missions and they were mm. doing, I'm sure, I, I don't know, but I'm sure they did absolutely mm. fabulous work. A couple of psychiatrists, one other GP that I know of, um, um, gynecologists in the men, but not in the women. Yeah. Okay, It just wasn't a, a job that women took on in those days. Um, no women surgeons, no radiologists, um, a few occupational health um few who just dropped yeah never never practiced i certainly know of at least two but you know so in a, a number of 18 it's it's um it was very different yeah yeah and did you experience any misogyny either in as a student or in hospital medicine when you were training not in uh, not as a student no no it was good fun and it was it was a lovely class and uh, still would not great fun when i when i meet classmates and yeah. uh it's it's quite funny you know but um in hospital medicine i know um certainly in my first job as an intern um uh the consultant really didn't uh, particularly like me and uh, I, I felt it was because i was a woman and uh, when it came to giving me a reference he referred to me as miss doyle not as dr doyle whereas my fellow intern was doctor because he was a male okay so uh, and the other thing is that you always had to go out of your way to get on with the nurses because you were in those days a challenge to their autonomy. They were used to dealing with men only. Mm-hmm. And um, so you had to be... Now, I made some great friends with nurses, but you really had to make sure um, that you got on with them. Do you think it's still the same today for younger doctors? Do you think they have to make that go that extra mile yeah. to be acknowledged and recognised for... Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I think it is. Um, I mean, I, I personally thought that I had to be at least 10% better than my male mm. colleagues. I would have put a burden on myself as far as that was concerned, particularly when I went out into practice. I mm. just had to be, demand 10% more of myself than perhaps my colleagues would have. And it was I who did it, not, not my colleagues. Okay, And I think today, um, I mean, there, I was talking to the UCD students only a couple of weeks ago and there's a good mix of male and female and um, but there's more I think there's more girls than, than there are guys and um, certainly looked like that in the audience and judging from the heels they were wearing it was definitely more girls than uh, than, than uh, boys for want of a better word um, and I think it's more acceptable now but I don't think enough allowances are made um, you know you're at when the time you qualify particularly in a specialty it's about the time when you're maybe going to have your own family okay and that's a difficult um time wise like i had no maternity leave mary uh, none i have five children and my first was born in my last hospital job um 
I was, you know, in those days they changed over on the 30th, 30th of June, and my first was born on the 30th of June. Um, I was at the res party the night before and then delivered a five-week premature baby the next day. And like you were, that was the end of your job, you were pregnant, it was no job, you know, but um, subsequently my remaining four were born when I was in general practice and um, I certainly know on my second I had, I think, three weeks, but it got worse. By the time I had my last, I had five days. Like, I had him on a, as you say, of a Monday or whatever, and I actually saw a patient that Friday because there was nobody else to do it. And that's not right, and I would not encourage that. I'm, I'm quite envious um, of the girls today who have six months or a year off, depending on what their financial situation is, but I would encourage it because you don't get that time back again. So you're not a lean-in woman? Of, you know, women can do everything. They just have to lean in, uh, you know, as opposed to standing back a little. Yeah, you need to stand back a little. Yeah. Uh, that's the danger that you'll overdo it. Mm. I, mean, I certainly overdo it. I mean, I, had, I met, uh, it was an interesting conversation, I met two of my colleagues, uh, both women. We were standing at the AGM mm-hmm. having a chat and somebody, I said to one, uh, you know, how are you? And she said, oh yeah, and she had had breast cancer, but she broke her arm. That's the only thing that stopped her working. Now this is, last year okay mm-hmm. the arm because it was a right hand and you couldn't actually work okay and I said well I had to break my spine before I stopped working which is true and uh, another colleague said well you know my lymphoma was diagnosed when I was uh, on overtime or whatever like so I think women in general tend to push away um, symptoms women doctors uh, you know this isn't happening to me mm-hmm. and carry on and it's not right it's just not and why do you think that is? I suppose survival of the fittest. Certainly when I was young in practice, I was the first full-time woman in practice in the area in which I worked. And um, my male colleagues didn't like it. Okay, there was quite an amount of... Um, I have to be careful what I say, but quite an amount of not very supportive behaviour on the part of my male colleagues. And uh, I remember one looking at me one day and saying, I am making sure that you're on call for Christmas. And like I had four at that stage, four small children, like, you know, and actually my compromise was that we didn't tell the kids what day was Christmas Day. So I worked Christmas Day and then Stephen's Day was uh, Christmas Day in our house because the kids were too small to have known differently but it was like almost I'll make you suffer first you know and do you think that that particular doctor or those your male cohort of colleagues mm-hmm. felt threatened by you in some yeah. way yeah. because they because felt that you take the women patients that's or, right. away yeah. from them yeah absolutely and uh, women would naturally come to me for smears mm-hmm. um, naturally come to me for family planning naturally come to me for antenatal care mm-hmm. and I it behoved me to get good at it okay but yeah I, th- I think there was uh, you see today we all have too many patients in those days it was you know a fighting for a finite uh, number of people not mm-hmm. fighting but it was fighting on some of their parts and it was just uh, the attitude was, you know, you're going to be a woman, you'll be as strong as uh, we are. And of course, I would have been worse. I'd have been 10%, worked 10% harder, you know, because uh, I wouldn't be beaten by that, you know. So tell me then, moving on from that, and I mean, that is a fascinating part of the story and probably lonely too. Yeah, very, very supportive husband, though. Mm. Really supportive. His dad was a GP, so he knew what the job was about. 
He never had an interest in doing it, and I never met his father because uh, my kids never had any grandparents. Both of our parents were dead before any of our children were born. But I never actually met his father. He had died before. But he knew what the job was about, and I think that made a huge difference. So, as, you know, he'd say, I'd walk over him to go to a patient, but he understood that and was immensely supportive. Okay, and I, I, I often turn around and I say, look, I did two things right. Well, I did plenty of things wrong, but I did two things right. I got the right partner and I got the right job. And that's, you know, to be able to say that at this stage of my career is just uh, amazing, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Without his support, I would not have come through. So tell me, Rita, how did you get involved in ICGP then in the College of General Practitioners? How did that come about? Well... I suppose it came about, well, the college was formed while I was, uh, I can't remember after which child, and one of my colleagues sort of spoke to me and said, look, you know, it is is time you got involved, and I got involved from the beginning, and I just saw it as a way forward. I really saw it as a development of the profession to give the profession the support and respect that it actually deserved, and it has been the single... Uh, biggest influence on the development of general practice in this country and in the development of it for women as well you know because there would be a supportive element towards yeah. that type of thing and um, uh, I suppose I was, again I was young and um, uh, I was just an ordinary member for some time and then I can't remember how many years ago the college ran a leadership program uh, which went on for three separate um, you've probably heard of this before three separate um, weeks in over a period of 18 months down in Kenmare okay um, and it was sponsored by uh, the MSD foundation okay so there was no commercial uh, uh, thing in it but it was resourced the four people who resourced it um, were James McCormick whom mm-hmm. everybody knows is my hero and uh, Marsha Marenker from London and Medcalf from uh, Manchester, both inspirational figures, and by Michael Boland. And um, I just, Michael's intellect was an immediate draw and his, um, his idea about how to develop education really got me hooked, you know, because I was always, you know, uh, I went through a stage in my life where will I be a teacher or will I be a doctor when I was in my teens? And now I was going to be able to combine both roles. And um, so that was how I how it started. And James got me involved in various things. And when I came back, then uh, one of the other attendees said, "You know, you really should go for an office." And I actually went for election for to, you know, there was three members of council elected annually in the ICGP, and I actually went uh, for election. And it was uh, it was I think there were five people applying for one job, and I got it. You know, and in that day and age, you know, as a woman to get it above the other um, people was was interesting, and um, because there was a lot of support uh, mm-hmm. from uh, colleagues and that sort, because more and more women were coming into the profession. You know, yeah. and uh, that's so that was that was how I got involved, and then then I became. Uh, as soon as there was a job in my area and see me, I became uh, a tutor. And that was fascinating because I had the Bray Group, which is the town that I work in. Mm-hmm. But I also had the Wicklow area, which was much more rural, very different practices. And initially a bit suspicious of me coming down with my high ideas. But by the time I finished with them, and I think I spent 12 years going down there, they were just my best friends in the sense that 
they were so supportive of what I was doing. And I learned so much from them. I remember I used to drive down, there was no motorway. I'd come back, you know, the Wicklow motorway is only open in the last three or four years. I'd drive back up and my head would be reeling with lots of ideas and ways, different ways to do things. And it was all constructive, you know. It was, there was no bad feelings. It was all, everybody was working towards the same thing. It was a fabulous part of my life. And uh, Michael was such an inspiration. He was a hard taskmaster. God almighty he was. Like, he would expect, if you gave him 100%, he'd want 110, you know. But you were very willing to give it to him, you know. And um, it is, uh, he was another inspirational figure in my life. And I went on to be the assistant national director then of CME um, with him. And then I, I got sick. I uh, got into trouble with my spine. And I'd had the first trouble when I was very young. And... Uh, Got into serious trouble then, about, oops, about 20 years ago now. Mm. But had major surgery and was out for a good period of time. So that was a time for reflection. Time to change the way I did things, you know. Did you learn from it though? Oh, did I what? Oh, absolutely. And my husband says I've forgotten it in the last six months since I came in here. But yeah, I did, absolutely. And uh, that you just can't give 110%. You can't do it. Who loses? I was the one who lost, but then my kids lost too. I mean, it's not easy for spouses and children to see their mother sick, okay? And I was very sick at the time. And for a long, you know, it was, I had uh, two major thoracic uh, operations mm-hmm. and I have titanium rods in my spine. But they hold me together. But, you know, it was a question of me learning that I needed to pace myself. I needed to get a, a better balance about what I was doing. So how do you look after yourself then, Rita? <laughs> how do you look after yourself? Well, I was doing very well until I took this job, but this job is settling in now. Okay, mm. It's new to me, um, and um, it, it's quite onerous, but it's settling in now. But yeah, I mean, I, I worked hard, and I actually brought, introduced mindfulness into the profession and, and um, as a health uh, measure, and... Uh, would be an ardent uh, supporter of that, okay? And uh, when I have time, I haven't at the moment, I do a lot of uh, hill walking. Mm. And, um, you know, try and, um, I changed, I used to see six patients an hour, now I see four. Um, I used to do four hour surgeries, now I do three. Um, Mm. I used to work Monday to Friday without a half day even. Uh, and uh, then I started working after that I started working I not working on a Wednesday and Wednesday I would recharge my batteries okay and get through Thursday Friday now that's changed a little bit in the last six months but eventually it, it'll work out okay but it's it's vital to uh, you know I mean I know that as I said I've learned um, by my mistakes hopefully so you became president of ICGP in 2012, I think it yeah, was? Yeah, I think that, that was it. Yeah, yeah, I was out of college for a bit when I was unwell and uh, Michael was unwell and I came out of the CME mm. uh, programme just out of uh, being tutor or mm. teaching. And um, uh, if well, I remember um, being um, asked, would I think about this? And I was really honoured. Um, I kind of didn't think it was on the agenda to be honest with you and um, I really I loved it it was a lovely year um, uh, where you're welcomed everywhere you go where people like to see you um, it's a different role to this role and it, I think it is changing too I think it's um, 
growing into strength as well. I think the presidency in, in the college is growing into strength and some wonderful people, uh, wonderful predecessors and wonderful people following me on, you know. So um, that was, you know, your three years involved, the year before and the year after. And, but it was a lovely year. It was a real pleasure. It was, yeah. And then, moving on, <laughs> you're now president of the Medical Council. That's right. And that's a very the different first job. woman. Yeah. Yes. And it's, it's a difficult, uh, different job. Um, I came to the council as the ICGP, uh, succeeded Richard Brennan as mm. the ICGP uh, representative to the council. Mm. And um, uh, the commitment was five years, and I thought that was it. And here I am. Okay. And... Um, so I, I've taken it for three years. I mean, I could have taken five. I said no. I said three was the max I would do, and I put my all into it. Okay, and it's it's a huge job in the sense of that the work that the council does is not the regulation bit is not even not even half of it. Okay, it's only about thirty percent of what we do. I mean, the education is the biggest bit because we're responsible for the standards in undergraduate, graduate, postgraduate and CPD, so from the cradle to the grave education-wise for doctors and uh, making sure that the standards are correct and making sure that they're up, they're kept up, you know, and monitoring them and um, it's really fascinating work and uh, the amount of expertise in here is huge, you know, the education and training department has just incredible expertise, but we draw on lots of members of the profession who carry out uh, assessments for us. We train, we actually train them in the house now, but uh, carry out a lot of the assessments of uh, the universities and the hospital training sites and all of that. So it's that's really interesting. Uh, and of course, then there's the professional competence side. It's not just the um, it's not just the t- really venturing to get it out from being a tick box exercise to being something that is actually tailored to you as a doctor that you'll sit down uh, at the end of May and say look this, these are my you know I need to learn something about this I need to you know actually plan your CPD rather than chasing to get it all in at the end that it becomes a much more supportive uh, thing so, so it's you know fascinating stuff yeah the regulation side is interesting um I spent five years on the what we call the preliminary proceedings committee, which is the filter committee for all complaints. In very interesting work, and uh, sometimes you know the complaints are just silly, okay. But sometimes complaints are very serious, okay. But you know, I, I I'm not good at remembering figures, but in a population of almost twenty three thousand doctors, there were three hundred and something complaints last year. That's not a big deal. So you've come almost full circle, medicine, education, back to education, governance, etc. Mm. Yeah. You know, what a career, you know, yeah. and your inspirational role model to all the young doctors coming up. Well, I, I, I would hope that, um, you know, I, if I can do it, they can do it, would be kind of my yeah. uh, motto. But I wouldn't advise them to work, work as hard as I did. I think I needed, I wasn't balanced enough. Um, but hopefully I'm getting that right now. Now my husband wouldn't say it. Just now he said, he asked me last week that I moved out. Uh, <laughs> <you know. laughs> 
you see what I mean by yes, being supportive? Andrew, yes. It was all a supportive uh, yeah. sort of thing. And he knows that just now I have to kind of mm. come to grips with all of the, the detail that wasn't yeah. necessary when I was uh, just uh, a member of council. Mm. Okay, But meeting very different people. And um, the legal side is interesting. And my husband is a lawyer. So, you know, there's a little bit of... Uh, I can get a bit of... Um, Support uh, knowledge-wise, but actually learning different parts. Like at this stage, it's like learning a new trade in some ways, you know. So, final question: Do you bring your work home with you? Um, I think every GP brings some of their work mm-hmm. home, uh, and I, I actually had a young doctor working with me recently, and she she rang back about two things, and I said to her one day, I said you're getting into bad habits. I said, you're not leaving it behind you on the desk. I said, you must leave most of it. I said, once in a blue moon, it's okay to sort of suddenly something will hit you. And I'm sure you've had that, mm-hmm. Mary. Uh, something will hit you. I said, God, that's what it is. And you, you need to do something mm-hmm. about it. But that would be once in a blue moon. And she had done this twice in a, in a period of 10 days. And I said, look, you need to mind yourself first, okay? You've made your decision. Trust your decision. I'm trusting your decision, so you should trust your own decision. And she was making perfect decisions. So do you see your role for yourself in mentorship now when you finish your medical council <laughs> stint? <laughs> I don't know. I, I just don't know. You never know what, what life is going to bring yeah. to you. Uh, I mean, I have a lot of um, experience. I have a lot of knowledge. Um, I'm very happy to share support systems or anything with anyone who wanted to. I mean, as I said to you at the beginning, James McCormick was a real mentor to me. I ended up being his GP. Uh, but um, I wouldn't mind. Yeah, I think mentoring. Uh, if if the young doctor wants it, it's mm. I wouldn't impose it. Yeah. yeah. Rita, thank you very much indeed, and I hope you have a wonderful International Women's Day. Thank you. Thanks very. <laughs> Dr. Rita Doyle there talking to Dr. Mary Short. You've been listening to GP Works, the podcast about and for general practice with the Irish College of General Practitioners. You can subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud and on iTunes, and you can follow us on Twitter at ICGP News, and check out the website, icgp.ie.